Well, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And actually, uh, somebody read for us. Somebody with a strong voice can stand up and read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Can I get a reader? Who would like to do that? Ah, I got a hand in the back. Tell us your name, man. Uh, my name is Richard. Hello, Richard. How you doing? What's your last name, Richard? Jordan. Richard Jordan. All right, Richard. All right. Verses uh, 9 through 13, please. From the New King James Excellent. Thank you, man. That was awesome. That, you're great. I thought he did great. What did you guys think? <laughs> you know, we've gone through the Lord's Prayer, and we've been really discovering a lot about this prayer. Hopefully, what you're discovering is how to really light a fire in your own prayer life. How you can begin to understand that our Father, that we're rediscovering who we are as sons and daughters, all the way from... Uh, God's holiness and the purpose for why he has made us, the, uh, the goal that he's calling us on, and the journey of understanding this participation with the divine that we talked about about six weeks ago. But we've come to a part of this prayer that really is a difficult thing to talk about because uh, we're talking about debt. And Jesus, now remember, this is Jesus' words. Jesus said to us, pray like this, God forgive me exactly the way that I forgive other people. I read one theologian who said, this is the most terrifying sentence in all of Scripture. That we would ask God to forgive us. And we understand that that's a difficult thing to do to see ourselves being forgiven in the same way that we forgive other people because we understand intuitively how difficult it is to forgive other people. I remember, okay, this was first grade. First grade, it was February 14th. I won't tell you the year, but it was first grade. And uh, I was in love. Her name was K.K. Wilson. Like, just the fact that her first name was K.K., that was cool. That was very cool. And trust me, for a first grader, she was smoking. She was the most smoking first grader in all of Horseshoe Elementary School, and she was mine. And I knew on February the 14th, I was going to get my very first Valentine. Not the kind where, you know, when you're in elementary school and you make a Valentine for everybody in the class, even that person that you don't really like, but your mom makes you do it anyway. Now, this was a Valentine that was intentional for me, and it maybe would even have one of those little heart-shaped sweet tarts in it. This is love you in it. That would have been awesome from KK. And I had mine prepared. I'd gone to the store and I'd gotten this special. And so we're, we spot each other. We know that we like each other. And because, not that we've said anything, all right? I mean, this is first grade anyway, you know? But we knew that this was the moment that true love was going to be spoken. And I'm walking toward KK 
fully expecting that all the nods and the punches she gave me on the playground were now going to be realized in this card. And she walks right past me and delivers a personal Valentine card to my best friend, Jeffrey Jones. (sighs) First grade. You know, it's remarkable because it's kind of, it's kind of cute, isn't it? You know, oh man, you got your feelings hurt in first grade, you know. But you know what's even more remarkable? Is it's remarkable the, the scars from when people hurt us unintentionally and then the brutal scars of when people hurt us intentionally. It doesn't matter if you're in first grade, kindergarten, third grade. Those scars have a tendency to do something in our lives. Those scars have a tendency to cause us to make commitments. Commitments in our lives that I'm going to walk in a way that I'm going to live out of this commitment in second grade. It sounds so silly, doesn't it? Until it becomes third grade. Until it becomes fourth grade. Until it becomes your freshman year in college. Until it becomes the tenth year of your marriage. That you're still living out of an unresolved wound or pain that happened all the way back into first grade. Or maybe high school. See, we understand that to forgive other people is difficult because as we just heard a minute ago, this is the word that Jesus uses. Forgive them their what? Their debts. When we sin against God, we create a debt. When somebody sins against me, they create a debt. Something has got to be paid. And that payment is not cheap. I love, this is uh, Oswald Chambers. He talks about this, uh, this forgiveness that the Lord gives us. Listen to how he puts it. And I hope that some of this language kind of <gasps> shocked you a little bit. Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. That pleasant view says this, God is so kind and loving that of course he will forgive us. That sentiment has no place whatsoever in the New Testament. The only ground on which God forgives us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. To put forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy. The only ground on which God can forgive sin and reinstate us in his favor is through the cross of Christ and in no other way. Forgiveness, which is so easy for us to accept, costs the agony of Calvary. It is possible to take the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification with the simplicity of faith and to forget that at what enormous cost to God it was that all made it ours. So what Oswald is saying there is that the death that we've incurred as believers, it took a bloody sacrifice to pay that debt. But, you know, when somebody sins against me, it takes no less a bloody sacrifice to pay the debt that they owe me. Christ went to the cross. I also have to go to the cross. Now, you know, if we had time tonight, we could talk about what happens when, when, things, when people sin against us or people hurt us and it churns up the soil in my life and I take the seed of unforgiveness and I plant it in that soil. Because when I plant that seed of unforgiveness in my life, it produces a fruit. It produces fruit like bitterness, resentment, hatred, revenge. I become cynical. 
And all these things, when they begin to grow mature in my life, they begin to choke something. And what they choke is my own heart. And they begin to kill my heart. When I was in uh, college, I worked for a guy named Al Latham who owned a bunch of gas station convenience stores. And, uh, and he owned them in all these seedy parts of town. And because that's where I used to hang and live and all that stuff before becoming a believer, he put me in one of those uh, to work the late night shift. And he would pay me good. And he said, yeah, you, you know, it would get robbed from time to time. And the, he couldn't get anybody to work with me except for guys on work release program that were guys were in jail and they would get out of jail to come and work with me at the convenience store. And it was always kind of that weird kind of funny moment when the guy they brought in was the guy that robbed us two weeks ago, you know, like, oh, you crazy nut. Yeah. Yeah. You almost shot me. You're crazy. Well, Joe was a six foot four, uh, 240 pound redneck from the backwoods of Louisiana. And he was in jail for poaching deer. They found uh, in his house freezers uh, all in his, uh, in his carport, and he had a hundred deer carcasses frozen in freezers in his carport. Joe Marion. And Joe Marion had a philosophy about life. He was the funniest guy. I loved working with him uh, sometimes. And, uh, but his philosophy was this. In all his humor, people cannot be trusted. Nobody can be trusted. And he kept lecturing me. He goes, you know, man, you've you never been to prison. You know, you don't know what it's like. You know, people cannot be trusted. And he said, every relationship in your life, you need to understand they're trying to take advantage of you. And you better get the upper hand first. What happened? I can tell you this, that, that Joe Marion's life was unforgiveness that had given birth to bitterness, resentment, hatred, vengeance, cynicism, and now had produced the, the deadening of his heart, which caused him to be isolated from everybody because nobody could be trusted. There's the full fruit of unforgiveness. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Because it's easy for me to say, well, nobody wants that, right? Do you want that? I, I don't want that. I mean, do you want a big tattoo of a heart with mom in the middle of it? That's what Marion had on his arm. Maybe you don't want that. So don't do it. Okay, let's close, let's close the sermon. How do we do that? Well, let's journey in that. But here's what I want us to do first. I want us to stop. I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> and here's what I'd like for you to think about. Are there any difficult relationships in your life where you've been harboring resentment? anger, or unforgiveness towards somebody who's hurt you? Is there somebody in your past or your present that you're finding it very difficult to forgive? Maybe somebody like a parent. Maybe somebody like a spouse. Maybe your child your boss, co-worker, maybe somebody in this room. Okay. I just wanted to do that because I want this to be personal for you. Because how do we do it? How do we go on the journey of forgiving? 
And I'm, I'm going to make it really simple. The first is own it. The second is confess. The third, put it down. And then the fourth is ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Okay? The four steps of being able to forgive somebody that has intentionally or unintentionally wounded you in your life. And what do we mean by own it? Well, it's pretty simple. We live in a culture where, in the South here, where when somebody comes to me and wants to confess a sin to me, my temptation is, oh, it's no big deal. No, 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 don't worry about that. No, no, you know, and then we make excuses for them. Well, you know, they punched me in the face because they were just having a hard day. You know, they rear-ended my car because, you know, they got the message that they have the flu or something. And we make excuses for people, and we minimize, we minimize the pain that people cause in our lives because of the sin that they commit against us. And it's really simple. I want to encourage you to own the weight of the offense that has been committed against you. Because something requires that a debt be paid. And it's only right that you have the freedom to feel the full weight of that debt. Some of you here are so deeply wounded because other people have wounded you. And guess what? It's okay that you're wounded. It's okay that you're hurt. It's okay that it's hard to get up off the ground after somebody has done something like they've done to you. Right? Own it. Because only when we own it will we begin to understand the weight of the debt that we need to pay on that behalf. The second is we need to confess it. Now, what do I mean by this? I'm talking about that we need to confess that there's a part of me, (laughs) and I know there's a part of you, because I know a lot of you, all right, that when I begin to own it, (laughs) I want revenge. I do. I want someone to get even. The other day, I was in the uh, Green Hills parking lot, and it was packed. It was a Saturday. There wasn't a parking spot anywhere until I found one. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm, I'm, I'm there, and I'm waiting for the guy to pull out. And I'm just, hey, this isn't too far from the door. I'm all right. The guy pulls out, and this guy in a Corvette comes flying around me and flies into the spot. And I'm like, kidding you, that happened. And I sat there, and I, 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 I didn't go anywhere. I sat there, and I just laid on my horn. <laughs> Until he got out of the car. And I was like, just look at me. And he wouldn't look at me. He, just, he was just talking to his wife, just ignoring, like, I'm, ah. I don't even know the guy. And that seems so unfair. I wanted revenge. Here's the thing about confessing. If I don't understand the weight, but when I understand the weight, I also have to understand that I'm going to struggle with the weight, with that debt. I'm going to struggle with that. If I don't understand that it's okay to struggle with that, pain has a way of leading me into the very place that the sin that got sinned against me was birthed from. 
that make sense? If I don't confess and understand that that pain, pain has a way of leading me back to the very pit from which the sin that got sinned against me was born from. In other words, what I'm saying is we easily become what wounded us. How many people do you know uh, grew up in a home where mom or dad were not pleasant people? Maybe mom was an alcoholic. Maybe that's your story. It's easy for us to leave that home with such deep wounds and say, I will never become that. I will never become that. And 20 years later, they're just like that. What happened? Well, a lot happened that we don't have time to talk about tonight. But let me just say this. When we come to grips with the full weight of what somebody's done to me, and I'm feeling the pain of that, and this is a big debt to pay. You're right, it's a big debt to pay. I had a big debt to pay just a guy taking my parking spot in Green Hills, and I don't even know the guy's name. Although I got his license plate number. (laughs) I know where he lives now. And anybody that wants to join me tonight about midnight with a roll of toilet paper. No. But then I have to confess, Lord, left to myself, I will let this pain turn me into the very monster that I desire not to be. The third thing is put it down. And this is where it gets hard. Because we have to pay the debt. Christ went to the cross. But you have to go to the cross too. For me to forgive somebody, I have to say, you can't pay this debt. I have to pay this debt. I have to write a check in my own heart. And I, I got to pay it off and release you from the debt that you owe me. And then finally, we need to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Because only in the Holy Spirit involved in this process does it breathe life into it. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, what about reconciliation? That's a whole other sermon. Because remember, we're talking about prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to communicate with the Father. We're not talking about right now what we do with this with other people. We're talking about how do I deal with this with my own heart and the Lord, because what is he jealous for? His own glory and my joy. That's what he's jealous for. So how do we do this? Like, where does the power come from to do this? Because there's got to be power in this. And Jesus says, you bet there's power in this, and this is where the power is. Remember he said, in the same way that you forgive, I'll forgive. Now, he's not making that a condition, and we'll see that in just a second. He's making that an aspiration. He wants us to understand that we've been birthed into an otherworldness that we can live out of. Let me understand that word, can. We can live out of this other world, gospel-centered world that we've been birthed into now. So how do we do that? We have to understand that our ability to forgive other people is directly connected to our ability to be able to receive the forgiveness that's ours in Jesus Christ. Say it one more time. Our ability to do this is directly connected to our ability to be able to receive the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. So let me take, can I take 10 minutes and take us through what it means to be forgiven? Because for me to be forgiven and for me to ask the Lord to forgive me involves repentance. Now, some of you grew up with a lot of different crazy ideas about what repentance is. And let me just say this about repentance. Repentance is not bargaining with God. Okay? 
repentance is not me trying to make some kind of deal. Let me try to explain what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in this paradigm. Let me just uh, move this around. And here's the paradigm, is that we sin. Now, I want you to think just for a minute, what's your favorite sin? All right, just take a minute, you know, get a smile on your face. Think about that sin that brings you joy in your life. Seriously, I mean, you love it. Because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't keep doing it, right? I mean, right? Can we be that honest tonight? No? Okay. Think about that sin you hate, all right? And think about it. You got it in your mind? What happens when you wallow in that sin? When, you know, I mean, you're just rolling around in it. You get it all over your hair, you know, and it's just all in, you know, under your fingernails. You're completely into that sin, and then you wake up and you realize, what have I done? What do you do? You feel bad. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, doesn't he? We have the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we realize, I wasn't born for that. What am I doing? What am I thinking? And what do we do when we feel bad? We resolve. We make resolutions. Because we tell God at that point, God, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe that I got myself all in that mess. I can't, please, if you forgive me this time, I will never do this sin again. I promise you. I called in all my friends and hold me accountable, man. Ask me about this every day, all right? Don't ever let me do this ever again. Here, here's my credit card from McDougal's. Don't ever, don't ever do it again. So, we resolve to never commit that sin again, but guess what happens? It gets hard, because when the hangover wears off, and the afternoon sets in, and you start eating barbecue, what's the natural thing that you do? We have sins to sin, thank you. It gets hard, and then follow this, because this is a, this is a deep theological truth that many of you will not get. Because after it gets hard, I resist. And when I resist, it gets harder. All right? And when it gets harder, that's an ER, all right, I have a tendency to fall back into sin. If I view repentance like this, this is not gospel-centered repentance. Because I'm feeling bad, I'm resolving to God, I'll never do it again. I'm making deals with you, God. If you forgive me this time, I swear, I swear, I'll get better, I'll get better. I won't sin as much this time next year. I promise you, God, I'm going to get better. It gets hard, it gets harder, I fall back into sin. Because what happens at this point is shame now is birthed in my life. I'm ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of what I'm doing. I'm ashamed of how I live my life. And when shame is a seed that takes root in my life, what it births, the fruit that shame births, is self-hatred. And let me tell you something funny about self-hatred that's been birthed from shame. If I hate myself, which is very possible, I am absolutely certain there is no way anybody in this room can love me. When I'm living in self-hatred, even your words of grace I receive as a curse. If you've been told you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly all your life, and someone full of grace comes in your life and says, you are beautiful. When we're in shame, 
we curse them and tell them to shut up. Who are you to talk like that to me? And that carries over into my relationship with God because I'm convinced that God hates me. So let me try to open up for us a new understanding of repentance that gives us power in our dealings with being able to forgive other people. Okay? First of all, you got to write this one down. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. If you're in Christ tonight, if you don't know what that means, please find out what that means. But if you're in Christ tonight, you are forgiven. Period. You're forgiven. Listen to what Hebrews 10 says. Because by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those, by one sacrifice, we have been made holy. You ought to tattoo this on your face backwards so that every time you brush your teeth, you read it. Because we are forgiven. All the past sins, all the present sins that you're committing right now because you don't like this sermon, and all the sins in the future, they are forgiven. Christ took them all to the cross. A debt had to be paid for them, and Christ paid that debt. The scripture says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's thrown your sins from him. And he remembers them no more. If we are in Christ, we are forgiven. We're no longer slaves to sin. It has no claim on us anymore. We're free from accusations and condemnation. When we stand before the Lord and our enemy points his little finger at us and he starts to accuse us of what we did at 4th of July last weekend, guess what? It was covered. We are forgiven. We are set free from condemnation because Christ paid the debt that was owed that we incurred to the Father. God sees me in the position of Christ. I'm in his favor, never to leave me, never to forsake me. And sin will never remove me from that place, even when I'm in sin. Never. Why does God delight in me? Is it because I'm good or because I'm doing good things? No, it's because I am in Christ and Christ did good things. And he did it perfectly. And he invites me into this place with him. And he goes, Randy, you got to stand right here. This is awesome. What's so awesome about it? Wait and see. God's favor. It's all conditional upon what Christ has done and what he did on the cross. And through the cross and his resurrection, he brings me into this position here. I'm forgiven. So if I'm forgiven, why repent? Why commit ourselves to any good? I'm not driven by duty anymore. Now I'm driven by something much more powerful. Delight. Love now drives me. My repentance doesn't come from getting right with God because I'm already right with God. My repentance comes because I'm in a relationship with the Father. And when I sin, I know it grieves Him. And it doesn't grieve Him to where He folds His arm and says, I'm ticked off grieving. It grieves him because he grieves for me. We'll get to that in just a second. So how do I repent? The first thing I do is I own it. See some similarities here? What do you mean? Psalm 51 verse 3 says, For I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. 
I've been married for uh, 20 something months and years. And it's an interesting thing that Renee and I have learned in our marriage is that if you're married for 20 something years, you have a tendency to have an argument once or twice. Like it just, I don't know, it just like every 10 years, it just kind of springs up out of nowhere and just kind of bites you. And our arguments, we get on the, uh, we get on the merry-go-round of blame, you know, where the horses, and it's just kind of, and that merry-go-round of blame often sounds like, uh, well, you did, you did, you did, which is encountered with, no, 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 wait. I did do that, but I did that because you did, and then you did, and then you did. Well, the only reason I did that is because you said. Remember? Remember you said? And so we have a tendency sometimes when we get on the merry-go-round of blame to begin to shut one another down. And I think I'm much better at it than she is. Okay? Where is she? I'm much better. I'm, right. I have a spiritual gift to shut my wife down. I do. I mean, it's got to be from the Lord because nothing that powerful can be just for me. So I'm owning it, right? Lord, forgive me for shutting down my wife and not listening to her more. Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm owning it. Bull. I mean, let's go a little deeper than that. Because here's the infamous question when you own your junk. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm... I don't want to answer that question. Nobody knows why we do stuff. I just look. I'm sorry. Can we go watch football? You know, soccer. Go Netherlands. <laughs> See, when I ask the question, "Why am I doing that?" is because I have an undying commitment to my self righteousness. I have a tremendous commitment to my self protection. And to my need to be right. There is something inside of me that's so dark. I've got to win every argument that I get into with my wife. See, here's, if I own it, here's what I'm owning. I don't love you well because I love myself more. I am the God in my universe. If I want to own it, what I'm really owning is, Lord, I don't trust you. You said I can put down my self-righteousness and pick up the righteousness of Christ and love out of brokenness. No, thank you. You said that I don't need to be in a world of self-protection because you're my strong tower that I run into and I don't have to defend myself. I can just love people. No, thank you. You said that I don't have to win because in Christ I've already won. Yeah, right. No, thank you. I don't believe you. I'm going to take things into my own hands and I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> when I own it, something profound happens. And I've lost my notes. Where was I? Hang on. Stay with me. When I own it, hang on. I preached this morning and then I got my notes all backwards. All right. Oh, here we go. All right. When I own it, I allow myself to be honest. And here's a powerful thing, and I'm almost through, is that when I'm honest with myself, because I'm covered by God's grace, then now 
when it comes to my relationship with other people, I can be honest about the hurt that they've incurred on me when they sin against me. Isn't that beautiful? Honesty allows me to step into the grief of my father. Because when I sin, when I say no thank you to God, it grieves him. Does it grieve him because he's angry with me? No, it grieves him because he's grieving for me. Randy, if you understood my grace, you would live over in this place. I grieve that sin is going to poison you right now. He's grieving for me. So when other people sin against me, I grieve with my father. Lord, sin is so painful. When people hurt us, it just hurts so much. It's so wrong. I grieve for them. I grieve for me. I grieve with you. So my first step in understanding that when I own my own sin... It gives me the courage to own my own pain and understand the grief that comes when sin occurs against me and when I grieve when I sin against the Lord. The second thing is that I confess. That in my own repentance, I confess. I confess that I've sinned. I speak it to the Lord. In Psalm 32, it says, When I kept silent, my bone wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And what happens when God forgives us? When we can take off the backpack of guilt. When we take off the backpack of shame. Something happens. We are restored back to sanity. And when we are restored back to sanity and we're seeing clearly for the first time, this is what the Lord says to us. Hey, now that you're breathing sane air, come and follow me. And where is he leading us? To the cross. That's where he's going. So when I confess and I understand that I am free, when it comes to the power of, to forgive other people. In my own confession, I understand the freedom that I have now in Christ. To follow him and pay that debt. Thirdly, disown it. In Psalm 32, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. We are forgiven. And in view of my forgiveness... I can forgive others. It's the jujitsu of the gospel that we talk about all the time. If you're not a good lover, it's because you don't understand how much you're loved. If you're not a good forgiver, it's because you don't understand how much you're forgiven. If you're not a good giver, it's because you don't know how much has been given to you. So how do we become good givers? How do we become good lovers? How do we become good forgivers? Is we step in the journey of understanding what abundance we've received from the Lord in those things. It's funny, I used to travel with my roommate before I got married. He worked for uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in their relief department. They had this big truck where we'd go out and make food, you know, uh, during disasters. And we'd just feed hundreds of people. And they would put me on the line, like, you know, the mashed potato line or something where you, you know, you're putting it on there. And the families would be coming to me and they'd go, thank you so much. And, you know, especially, can I have a little bit more? And you're like, heck yeah, you can have all you want. You know, why? I could just be so generous with it. And like, I could just, yeah, yeah, what else do you want? You know, let me go up in the truck. I'll get you whatever you want. Because none of it was mine. They told me, here was your mandate. Give. 
okay. You want more mashed potatoes? Go get a bucket. I'll, I'll get you 100 gallons of this stuff. Why? Because I knew what I was giving out, I was freely given. And because I was freely given, I was willing to give it out in abundance. Same is true with love, forgiveness, the things the Lord's given us. And then finally, we ask the Holy Spirit for help. Help for what? In Psalm 32, he's talking about repentance. And listen to this last word. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you are upright in heart. Joyful repentance. The blessed releasing of me being released from my guilt and my shame brings me to a place where I am, I am eager to release others from the debt that they owe me. All this to say, why do we forgive others? I believe it's a purely selfish act. I really do. Because when I begin to step into the journey of practicing forgiving other people, it takes me into the heart of the journey of me being forgiven of me owning my own junk, of me learning how to confess, of me putting down the sins that I wear that guilt me up and shame me up and causes me to dance with the Holy Spirit. When I need to forgive, it causes me to come into my own forgiveness and I get to experience the power of getting and giving grace. Okay, that's all I got to say. Let's do something here, all right? Um, remember that person that I asked you to think about and that I want you to make this personal. Let's just pause for a minute. For some of you, this may be a really heavy thing to hear tonight. Um, and you know what? That's okay. But you're not carrying it alone. You're surrounded by a community of people that care about you. If you're new here or if you've been here forever and you don't have that community, then you need to come on up here. I'll help you find that community. Okay? But let's begin the journey tonight. And uh, let's just pause for a moment of prayer and preparation for what God may want to do with what he's given you tonight before we close with a few songs, okay? Let's pray. Lord, um, It's so easy for us to see people that sin against us as enemies. Even that guy in the parking lot that took my spot. What an enemy. And I don't even know him. But there are some people in our lives, Father, friends that have betrayed us, family members that have used us, people that have gossiped about us, lied about us, people that have done things that have left us wounded, we all have that, Lord. And yet you're calling us into this place of grace to let them go, to put it down, to pay the debt and release them from what they owe us. We pray, Father, that you give us the grace to own the pain. Give us the grace to realize that healing from pain and forgiving is not the same thing. That I don't have to wait till I'm over the hurt to know that I've released them. But in that pain, meet us, Father. Surround us with friends. Give us people that can listen well. 
And we just confess to you, Father, in our pain, sometimes we do and say things that we shouldn't. We, we take our heart to places it shouldn't go. Protect us. And as we put down, Lord, that which we hold against others, because of what they've done against us, Holy Spirit, come and help us understand the deep debt that you paid Jesus for us. That you went to the cross and you paid all our debt to set us free so that we could be free people that set others free. Speak to us through this music, Lord, and lead us to worship you because of what you've done in Christ's name. Amen.